As you uh, navigate to Acts chapter 12, verse 25, uh, in our in our sermon Acts series, our focus has shifted off Peter and is largely now on Paul and his, uh, in his mission. And he's been set apart by the Holy Spirit, he and Barnabas, and they travel down to Cyprus. Um, I, I remember hearing a uh, pastor once say that he used to love hearing the sound of pages turning in the Word of God. Some of you might have these, but... Starting at verse 25 of Acts 12. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They travelled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now, the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Here ends our reading. Good morning to those in the room, and good morning to those online. It's great that we can be with you virtually. For those who can't be in the room, we hope you're staying dry as much as you can at the moment. My name is Isaac. If you don't know me, I'm one of the youth pastors here at Richmond Anglican, and it's my privilege to be speaking um, to you today from the Word of God in Acts. We're continuing our series uh, looking at the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostle, as uh, Acts of the Apostles, as um, Peter mentioned before. We're seeing this gospel which starts in Jerusalem and it goes to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what we're going to see today is that that work of that gospel going to the ends of the earth is still continuing even today. Will you please pray with me as we start? Heavenly Father, Please quieten and soften our hearts and our minds right now. Please tell us what you want us to hear. And Lord, I pray that we will put it into action in our lives and in our church. 
And I pray that our love and affection for your son, Jesus, will grow as we hear your word from Acts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is the church's mission? What should the church be doing? What should the church be prioritizing? How should the church spend her resources, her time, her money, her prayer? What is the church's mission? That's the question that this chapter in Acts, Acts 13, is going to answer for us today. I know a couple who in 1980 were called by the Lord to share the gospel with a group of people who had never, ever heard the name Jesus before. This couple had three children. They decided to pack up and leave their comfortable life here in Australia and move overseas to the jungle to tell a group of people about Jesus who had never heard about him before. So in 1980, they travelled there to the jungle and they, the language they had to learn, it had never even been written down before. It was a completely oral language. So this couple arrived in 1980, and for a whole year, they had to learn the regional trading language. So they learnt this language, and then they knew that they could talk to this specific tribe. So they learnt one language, and then they started learning a second language, the specific tribal language. And for three years... They learnt that language. So four years of language learning they had. Once they had learnt this tribal language enough, they started to preach the good news about Jesus. They started in Genesis. They explained who God is, how God made the world, who we are and what the predicament we have with God is. And then they worked their way up to the gospel. And when the gospel was first proclaimed to this group of people who had never heard about Jesus before, over 60 of them declared Jesus as Lord the first time the gospel was ever proclaimed to them. Over time, this couple has trained up ministers and teachers and evangelists, and now people from this tribe go to other tribes in the area and tell them about Jesus. And it's not an overestimation to say that thousands and thousands and thousands of people now declare that Jesus is Lord because this one couple decided to leave Australia and go tell one tribe about Jesus. Once they'd been there for a while, this couple found out that the chief of this tribe, where they were, the chief, had had a vision before they arrived, a vision of someone coming with a book. And they didn't have books here, obviously, it was an oral language, but this chief had seen in other tribes, especially on the coast, that when people got books, it meant they were trading with Westerners, and they got rich. And so he thought, well, this is great news. I better let these missionaries come here because they'll bring a book and I will get rich. So he allowed them in. That's how it started. And they started proclaiming the gospel. It's a pretty amazing story of God's faithfulness, of the power of the gospel and of how God sustains his servants. And I think you may know this couple too. It's Ron and Michelle Jennings. And you may have recognized the story. Ron and Michelle Jennings, missionaries that we here pray and give money to at this church so that their work in, with the Higa'uan tribe in the Philippines can continue. And they are still there today. Over 40 years later, they are now translating the Old Testament into this language so that these, these tribal people will know the fullness of the gospel. It's an amazing story, and it's one that really encourages me, but it's not a unique story. 
from the book of Acts in Acts 13 to today, the gospel has been going out to every nation, to every tribe, to every tongue, with churches supporting them as it goes out. And we can see all the way from Acts here today in the Philippines, in Richmond and abroad, that when the gospel goes out, it transforms and it changes people's lives. It transforms and it changes people's lives. And the work continues today. The work continues today. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at this church in Antioch from Acts 13, and we're going to look at what we here at Richmond Anglican can learn from the church in Antioch. And the first thing is this. The first thing is that the church prioritizes sending. The church prioritizes sending. That's our first thing. So we see here in Antioch, if you want to have a look at the beginning of chapter 13, we see an extremely diverse church. We've got Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement. We've got Simeon, and that, um, that translation there is literally the black man, so Simeon the black man. We've got Lucius, who's also from Africa, and he's likely a Jew as well. We've got Menaeum, who had been brought up with King Herod, who had beheaded John the Baptist, so he's a pretty important, significant guy. And we have the Apostle Paul as well, who used to persecute and kill Christians. We've got black, white, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, significant, and insignificant all together in this church. And here in Acts, we get no inclination that they're bickering about their differences or bickering about their differing theologies. No, instead, they are united together around the word of God. Have a look from verse 2. From verse 2, it says this. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This church in Antioch are not hesitant to look beyond themselves, to look beyond just this little church in Antioch. Instead, I think they see it as one of their primary callings to look beyond themselves and to send. In verse 3, I think we get the indication that they joyfully send off Paul and Barnabas. There's no kind of gap between 2 and 3. They just straight away, they send them off after the Holy Spirit prompts them. So we see here that Barnabas and Saul will be sent off. And we know that Uh, especially Saul, right? He used to persecute and kill Christians and then he had a vision on the road to Damascus and he was set apart to spread and tell the Gentiles about the gospel. So Paul had this specific calling to go and tell others about the gospel. But we as a church today in Richmond, we've inherited the general call to go and spread and tell others about the gospel. We've inherited that same calling to send and to spread the gospel. This church in Antioch was a sending church. You may have heard that term before. And we should be here too. And for those of you who've been at Richmond Anglican for a while, I've heard people tell me that Richmond has historically been a sending church. People who have come to Richmond, have been trained at Richmond, have been taught at Richmond, have gone out to tell more and more people about the gospel, which is great news. And we should continually be doing that. And we should joyfully be doing that. It should be a joy when we send people out from this church. So how would it look like for us here in Richmond, what would it look like for us to actually prioritise 
sending. You know, is it reflected in what we pray for at church? Is it reflected in what you pray for in your own time? Is it reflected in our church budget and what we're allocating money for? Is it reflected in your personal giving? Are you giving personally to the spread of the gospel? Is it reflected in the ministries that we want people to step up into? You know, I'm conscious I'm a staff member, so it's very easy for me to want to tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, can you help with waves or youth group or ripples or kids church or maybe some seniors ministry, you know? Um, But it's very, I think we're not very good at tapping people on the shoulder and saying, hey, have you considered leaving Richmond's? and going to do ministry elsewhere where you could have a massive impact. I don't think that happens very often. We're not very good at tapping people on the shoulder to say, have you considered going to tell other people not in that area about the gospel? But I hope and pray we we do that. We do that. Antioch was a sending church, and we should be too. And I think another way of what it would look like if we prioritise sending like the Antioch church is I think it would change how we evaluate how our church is going, how, this, how, our, you know, how successful our church is. We shouldn't you know, be solely evaluating our church's health on the amount of people that walk through the door or the amount of people in Bible studies or the amount of people who you know, are spiritually growing or the amount of people we're baptising or confirming at this church every year. Now, they're not all bad things, but we're missing a vital component, aren't we? We should also be evaluating our success by how many we send out beyond Richmond and by how many we're continuing to support with our encouragement and our prayer and our money as they go out. It's not how many come through the door that tells us how our church is going, but I think it's how many leave the door and don't come back here because they've gone to tell others about Jesus. So the first one, the first thing that we here at Richmond can learn from the church in Antioch is that the church here in Richmond, we must prioritise sending. That's our first thing. Our second thing is that when we prioritise sending, we must follow the will of God when we're doing it. Have a look at verse 2 again in your Bibles. It says this. While the church in Antioch were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. When we are sending people out, we need to remember that it's God's work and it's God's gospel that is being sent. And we need to ensure that he is in control. The church in Antioch, we see they worship God together. They listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 3, they wholeheartedly obey that voice. And I just don't just want to kind of quickly skip over how significant this is in the church in Antioch. I want you to imagine, whether you're watching online or here, imagine you are sitting in this gathering in Antioch. You're a member of the church in Antioch. You're gathering together, you're worshipping together, and you all feel the calling that Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, you may know him as, are going to be sent out. The Holy Spirit says Barnabas and Saul have been set aside to leave this church. And I think what you might be thinking and what I might be thinking if we hear that, we might be thinking, uh, maybe not Barnabas and Saul, because the wheels are going to fall off here in Antioch if we let Barnabas and Saul go. Like, you know, Barnabas, is, his name means son of encouragement. He spurs everyone on. He's really encouraging. He keeps us going. And Saul, you know, he's an apostle, 
right? We need him here. How are we going to have good teaching here if they leave? You know, perhaps, um, God, we, you can send Matts or Tim because, you know, they're good. They're, they're not Saul and Barnabas, but they're good. So perhaps we can send Matt and Tim and then we can keep Saul and Barnabas for ourselves here with us because, you know, we don't, we don't want our church to be ruined by sending Saul and Barnabas. But have a look. Do we have any indication that that's their response when Saul and Barnabas are set aside? No. In verse 3, they're just sent off. These are the superstars of the church, if you'd like to put it that way. They are just sent off. The church in Antioch, they sent out their best here, their best teachers, their best theologians, their best encouragers. They sent them out away from Antioch. And I think here at Richmond, we can often have the attitude that we need to prioritise and keep our best people here for ministry here and then send the second best elsewhere. Or perhaps we have the attitude that, you know, we'll get our ministry right here in Richmond. We'll make sure we get everything right, the teaching goods, the ministry's good, and then we'll think about sending people out. But we won't sacrifice what's going on here at Richmond for sending people out. But that's not the attitude of the church in Antioch. They had the opposite attitude. At probably great personal sacrifice to their own ministry in Antioch, they sent Saul and Barnabas out. We need to wholeheartedly listen and obey to God's calling to send, even if it's going to hurt us and our ministry here. Because God's in control and not us. We need to let him do the work of sending and not us. We're not kind of military commanders with a big map moving little pawns around, deciding where people go. No, God tells us where people go and we send them and we pray for them and we support them and we give them money for years sometimes, which is great. And we need to do that joyfully and happily like the church in Antioch. So our second thing, when we are prioritising sending, Our church needs to follow the will of God when we're doing it. And the third and last thing that we can learn from the church in Antioch is that the church's mission is sustained and protected by the Holy Spirit. From verse 4 to the rest of our reading today, we kind of get a bit of a case study of what happens when the church, A, prioritises sending and follows the will of God when sending. Because we see what happens when Paul and Barnabas go out. So, have a look from verse 4. So they're sent out, then in verse 5 we see that the word of God is proclaimed in the synagogue. In verse 6 and 7, people's hearts are softened and they want to hear the word of God. We see Sergius Paulus, he calls for Paul and Barnabas because he wants to hear the word of God. In verse 8 and 9, we see that the word of God stirs up opposition. Elemus the sorcerer, we read, opposes the message, and he tries to turn Sergius Paulus away from the faith. And in verse 9 and 10, we see that the Holy Spirit gives Paul boldness to denounce this opposition and to continue to proclaim the gospel. And finally, in verse 12, have a look. What's the end result of all this? What's the end result? Sergius Paulus is amazed at the teaching of the Lord. He is amazed and he believes. 
the gospel bears fruit. It changes Sergius Paulus, his life. It transforms him. So in this passage here, we see clearly the Holy Spirit defending the proclamation of the gospel and giving missionaries boldness to speak, even when there is opposition. And we see here the Spirit preparing people's hearts in advance. Sergius Paulus wanted them to come to him to tell them about the gospel. It paves the way for the proclamation of the gospel. At the beginning of this talk, we were talking about the ministry of Ron and Michelle Jennings in the Philippines. And I mentioned that uh, before they arrived to this, uh, to this tribe, the chief had a vision of a book, of someone coming with a book. And because he thought that would bring him wealth and prosperity, he thought, well, this is a great idea. I'll let these people come with the book. What I didn't tell you is that once the chief had realized that the gospel doesn't make you rich or doesn't bring about worldly possessions, he was a bit dismayed at the whole situation. He thought he'd been a bit cheated, really. And so the chief had a change of heart. And he decided that he wanted the missionaries gone. So he started rounding up opposition. He talked to other tribes in the area, rounding up opposition to get these missionaries out of this village, to get them out of the village. And Ron says, when this happens, two things happened after that that was really significant. The first was, it was too late. So many people in this tribe had already had their lives changed and transformed by the gospel that it wasn't going to be easy just to chuck these missionaries out because they wanted the gospel. And the second thing is this. Within weeks of the chief having a change of hearts, he died. Suddenly and unexpectedly. Within weeks. And Ron says that was the spirit defending the proclamation of the gospel. The, the, the gospel stirred up opposition, but the Spirit defends the proclamation of the gospel. And we can see with this tribe in the Philippines, it has bore fruit with thousands and thousands and thousands of people now declaring that Jesus is Lord. So we see in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit defending the proclamation of the gospel and giving his servants boldness. And we also see that with Ron and Michelle Jennings in the Philippines, the Holy Spirit is defending the proclamation of the gospel and sustaining his servants. And the stories in Acts and the stories with the Jennings should also give us encouragement to be bold. It's not just the Apostle Paul or people in the Philippines who have the benefit of this, it's us too. If we declare to our friends and tell them about the good news of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will defend us against opposition and the Holy Spirit will give us boldness to continue to preach, which is good. And we should be really encouraged by that. It's not just those who go overseas. We too can tell others about the good news of Jesus and the Holy Spirit will protect us. So we asked ourselves at the beginning of this talk, what is the church's mission? What is the church's mission? And we see from the Antioch church, it's that the church's mission is to send, to send people to tell others about the good news of Jesus. From Antioch, within 200 years, the entire Roman Empire had heard about the gospel. 
and from Antioch within 2,000 years, nearly every country on earth have heard the gospel. And that work continues today. The church's mission, both in Antioch and here in Richmond, is to send. And specifically, what can we learn from the church in Antioch? We looked at three things. We saw how the church here in Richmond must prioritise sending. That'll change what we use our resources for, what we pray for, what we give money to, and it'll change how we evaluate our own success. We saw that the church, when they are prioritising sending, must follow the will of God when doing it. It's God's gospel, and we must send, even at personal cost, to ourselves. And the last thing was we needed to know that the Spirit defends and sustains the proclamation of the gospel. And that's good news for people we send abroad, and it's good news for us too, because we can have boldness to tell others about the good news of Jesus. Will you pray with me to finish? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you gave your son Jesus to die on a cross so that we may be in a relationship with you again. Lord, we pray that you will give us boldness to proclaim that gospel to our family and friends. And Lord, I pray that as a church, we will prioritise sending, that we will be a church who gives money to, who encourages and who prays for people to go to tell others about Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.